0: Hello and welcome to our latest DLA Piper tech law podcast. I'm Paul Allen, Dubai-based partner at DLA Piper, where I'm the global co-chair of our tech and sourcing practice. For the past few decades, we've been witnessing the digital evolution of our societies and economies, heralding the arrival of the fourth industrial revolution. The business environment we now face is often described as being volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous with last year's once in a lifetime pandemic accelerating the pace of change and digital adoption globally. It's the same change that we've experienced before, but now it's even faster. I have the pleasure of being joined for this podcast by Andrea Clark, whose award-winning book, Future Fit, how to stay relevant and competitive in the future of work provides practical guidance on how to succeed in this ever-changing digital environment. Hi, Andrea, and thanks very much for joining us for this podcast.
1: Thanks, Paul. So great to be here with you.
0: Likewise. So, Andrea, for the benefit of our audience, it would be great to hear a little bit about your background, your personal story.
1: Sure. Um, As you mentioned, I'm the author of Future Fit, and I also run a digital education program that essentially develops future fit people for the 2020s. And we do that by accelerating the soft skills that are required to deliver differently in a different environment and their skills like communication, trust, creativity, reputation, capital, networking, problem solving and resilience. Before I produced and created Future Fit Co, I was a commercial television news reporter for the bulk of my career and I spent 10 years based in Washington, D.C., covering Pentagon, State Department and White House for Thomson Reuters and I also was an international aid worker, and I helped uh, with programs to rebuild Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, which were funded by USAID.
0: With a background like that, it's perhaps not surprising that your book reads in parts like an action-adventure story, but it's also (laughs) filled with insights and practical steps on how business leaders can really help their businesses and their people to succeed in the 2020s. I'd love to hear a little bit about what really inspired you to to write the book and what made you want to get the, the messages that are in the book out to the world.
1: Thanks, Paul. Great question. I was motivated by two major life events in my working life. The first event was working for a major U.S. international aid group in Baghdad. After returning from a trip to Iraq, I noticed a series of issues which I defined as a misappropriation of funds. And I flagged this. And when I did, I was suddenly made redundant. Um, I was on, the problem was I was on an employer-specific visa, which left me really scrambling to land another job within 10 business days. And that was the start of me thinking about being future fit. What were the skills, mindset, skill set, what were those skills that really would allow me to always be relevant and valuable to an organization. Um, so that's where the first um, trigger really happened. And um, secondly, I was on a trip to Silicon Valley in 2018 and I was part of a pretty amazing cohort at Singularity University where we were learning about exped- exponential innovation. See, it's so intimidating, I can hardly pronounce it. <laughs> Um, The cohort was based at a NASA facility and the content was totally mind-blowing. It was all about the technology that was going to impact the future of work. But the interesting piece to me that was missing was, what did all of it mean? Because the future of work is such an incredibly ambiguous term. And I remember walking out of that facility one day thinking, how can I give this clarity to leaders? How can I help leaders understand that the digital evolution is really about upgrading our human skills because it's those skills that allow technology to be implemented properly into a business to give it efficiency and productivity. So it's the soft skills that innovate a business and that's what I really felt I needed to build a story around. So the future of work is about talent, it's not about the technology and that was a story that I really wanted to tell.
0: Right. So we're going to get into the the details around those soft skills and and the importance of talent. Um, But before we look at sort of the future of work, perhaps if we just look back over the past decade. I mean, as a firm, we've really seen uh, our business, our clients and their businesses transform um, because of these technological changes and because of the changes in consumer demand and consumer expectations. And we've also seen uh, businesses and, and entrepreneurs who've seen the opportunity and who've built their own digitally-based business models. Um, so so that, that evolution has been taking place not only of the past decade, but over the past mm-hmm. several decades as we move ever towards this fourth industrial revolution. I think it's, it's fair to say that that past decade of digital evolution is really only a, a precursor for the accelerated business changes and challenges that we're going to experience over the the next decade, over the 2020s. So in this expected environment that will be uh, really characterised by volatility, by uncertainty, by ambiguity and complexity, what do you see the future of work as? What what does it look like in, in your view?
1: I think the most stable part of leadership is knowing who you are. Because when we know who we are and we're closely connected with our values and our own workplace identity, we can navigate uncertainty with much greater ease. I think that the future of work is opportunity disguised as disruption. And we all know that there are two things currently happening in the market at the moment. The first one is we're seeing all kinds of new technology being adopted into the workplace And number two traditional employee arrangements are transforming and they were transforming before COVID Uh, but what this means is that we're heading into a far looser and less structured work arena. So this means two things for business it means rethinking the way we organize work and talent and the common narrative on this on how it's going to play out is that it'll play out in a hybrid work model so We'll work from home, we'll work from the office a couple of days a week, and we may even work from a satellite co-working space if that works for us. So we know that business is still sorting this out, but we've seen big companies, big tech companies already move to call their agile work policy. So big decisions have been made already about what that's going to look like, but this will be different for every business, of course. For individual, for individuals, here's where it gets really, really interesting I think it means that um, we, we, for the first time, really have to understand that the responsibility for finding, securing and delivering work is shifting to the individual in ways that we've never seen before. And so for all of us, we need to ask ourselves a couple of really critical questions. How is this digital evolution um, impacting the product or the service that I'm personally working on? And how does that free me up? How does it allow me to bring greater value to the business than I already am contributing? Um, I think we really need to wake up every single day and be obsessed with creating value uh, and realising that the soft skills are critical to how we exercise authority and innovate for the business that we're working for. Uh, I think generally the leaders who are really paying attention to what's happening know that there's a window that, a window for real change. I feel like COVID's opened this window, but it's closing. The window though, is this opportunity for once in a generation transformation. But, you know, as it closes, it's, you know, the, the CEOs who are really on their game are using this time to reshuffle the deck and to put real order to how their companies can become more efficient around people in place. But future of work will look different for everyone and we'll look different for different sectors, but ultimately it comes down to your talent and your willingness to stay current, stay relevant, take yourself forward, as well as the business that you're working with.
0: So you talked there a lot about opportunity and um, that opportunity that exists now has, if you like, um, changed somewhat because of the pandemic that we faced in 2020 and it's opened the door um, that allows us to possibly reimagine what the future of work looks like and how we as businesses and how we as individuals can create value out of those opportunities that exist. I'd just like to explore that a little bit more because I think that's really fascinating. Um, you know, we went into 2020 having an expectation of what we were going to do, we came out of 2020 with a completely different expectation of what the future would look like. Um, what, what does that opportunity look like and how can organisations really embrace that opportunity, bearing in mind the importance of their people?
1: I think we need to be relentlessly optimistic about the next couple of years. There's never been more opportunity to grow our own careers and grow the careers of our business and, of course, the industry and have a real impact on the audience that we choose to have an impact on. I think when I look around, the businesses that I see doing really well are doing one very simple thing, and that's play the outside game. And by that, I mean there are businesses that are solely and strictly focused on the customer journey. And this means in many cases, of course, wholesale changes to an operating model. So structure, process, people and technology. This is seismic transformation especially for enterprise businesses that have tens of thousands of people working for them. But nevertheless, this is where we find ourselves and the businesses that are getting ahead are making those really tough decisions and they're finding a way to transform in what you would think would be an impossible time to do that. But there are are plenty of examples of that. And I know that you mentioned previously uh, an example with a major bank in Europe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yep. we've seen all sorts of approaches being taken to this transformation mm-hmm. um, and, and the bank that you and I talked about previously actually took the very dramatic and radical step mm-hmm. of effectively making their entire workforce redundant mm-hmm. and then rehiring based upon the way that they wanted to structure their organisation going forward, which was on an on a almost purely agile basis. So rather than working in this very hierarchical structure, like what you said, they they saw that a a looser and more flexible structure, but one that importantly would give autonomy to the people to make Mm. the decisions around how to create and deliver value to their customers. So they centered themselves around their customer and created their organization to Mm. fit that purpose. But to transition from their previous hierarchical structure, Mm. They 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 took that really big bang approach and decided, mm-hmm. okay, well, we need to get rid of everything that we had before mm. and start again with a clean sheet of paper. And, and so they took that very radical step. But, of course, that is um, mm. less common, let's say. Yes. Uh, and there's lots of ins and outs <laughs> and uh, practical and legal difficulties with taking that sort of approach. Yeah, um, a more common approach yeah. is probably um, to sort of inch forward and um, look at how you can make cultural changes Mm -hmm. that will help to inspire that innovation Uh, and one thing that we've done at at DLA Piper our mission really is uh, to help our clients succeed and to make business better Mm -hmm. and so we've recognized that um, radical change is part of our strategy going forward so that we can do what you've been talking about which is to identify those opportunities where we can create new value and deliver that value to our clients. But we're doing it through a, a cultural transformation, uh, which is leading to, um, you know, some very interesting and exciting projects that have already been launched onto the market. We've been talking a lot about change and the inevitable acceleration of change. One interesting thing I think is that, you know, it's often said people don't like change.
1: Mm-hmm
0: you know, you know, presented with status quo and change, people will often opt for status quo. (laughs) So in the face of that, um, but also presented with these great opportunities, what do organisations need to do to inspire the change in their people?
1: Well, I think there are many things and, you know, every business can do. I think it starts with Recognizing that not everyone feels psychologically safe when there is seismic change coming down the pipeline. I think that there's one really concerning trend that I've seen in research that's popped up almost immediately when we moved from working at the office to working from home. And almost immediately with this shift, there was a staggering number of employees that put their hand up and said, that they simply don't feel seen. There was a global study done with 5,000 people that found one in two workers are concerned about their lack of visibility having an impact on their career trajectory. Now, I really believe this is an alarming red flag for leaders across every business, uh, because we know that if we have a strong work identity, we're three and a half times more likely to deliver and be productive, and also be resilient to changes in the market. So, for example, if you're managing 20 people, you can safely assume that half of your team may run into issues around their, their well-being. And I think that um, what this means is that leaders need, to th- leaders need to start thinking about how do they manage talent in micro-detail? And this is not something that people will want to hear because it's so time-consuming, But one simple response to this uh, is more support and development around helping individuals identify our purpose and really define our workplace identity and our role in the team and where we fit in as we navigate all this VUCA environment, all this uncertainty. The definition of adaptive leadership is the process of mobilising people to adapt to significant change and we cannot in that process ignore an individual not feeling like they belong to part of the tribe.
0: One of the things you touched on there, Andrea, was, was purpose. O- over the past decade, we've seen organisations and individuals embrace this concept of purpose, the importance of purpose, and um, the use of that purpose in their mm-hmm. day-to-day lives and their decision-making processes. So. You know, very successful global organisations will be able to articulate what mm-hmm. their purpose is. Very mm-hmm. successful uh, individuals and business leaders will be able to articulate what their purpose is. And when you talk to people about purpose, they'll tell you that the value of that purpose for them is that it serves as a, as a North Star, mm-hmm. um, as something that helps them when presented with complexity, with, when presented with uncertainty, mm-hmm to be able to sift through that in a, uh, in a rapid way, to be able to make a decision that aligns with, with their purpose. Mm. Um, so I'd just be interested to hear uh, about your experience mm. with purpose, both from an organisational perspective, but especially from an individual perspective, and how that fits into remaining relevant and competitive mm. uh, with the future of
1: work you're absolutely right. Decisions are far more efficient when we're anchored in our values and knowing who we are. And I think that we're going into a very interesting couple of years where we all need to be on high alert around purpose. I do not think there's been a more dangerous time to be neutral. We are all, while 75% of us might be happier working from home, we're not necessarily feeling like a cohesive unit. So purpose is really coming to the surface is something that's absolutely critical to attaching ourselves to that workplace identity. And when we have one in two people put their hand up and say, I'm concerned about losing visibility, we should all be concerned about that. We should all be collectively trying to help our teams identify what their purpose is and how that fits into the business strategy overall, because we want to be aligned, of course, with the business that we're working with. Um, I think, um, you know, we strengthen our workplace identity by considering four things, and it starts with purpose. And this is about reputation capital. Reputation capital is a new measure of trust across the workplace and industry. And this is something that I think is really the starting point for being aware of who we are so we can role model that to other people and stay closely connected to the values and um, and the skills and everything that's really important to us. So this is 100% our responsibility, but I do think this is something that we can share with our teams. And it starts with purpose. So when I think about purpose, I think about what is the conversation that I want to start? What do I feel so strongly about through the 2020s that I have to talk about this? So that's how I define purpose because that gives you so much meaning in um, in the work that you do. So four things, purpose, position, audience, and activity. Um, So purpose, what makes you different, relevant? what What is the conversation that you want to start? Secondly is position. What are the platforms that you want to have a voice on? That may only be something as simple as LinkedIn, obviously a professional platform, but you may not want to be that loud. And we all know that leadership does not have to be loud. It could be an internal platform that you feel really safe on. So by all means, let that be the only platform. It could be even a conversation with your team. It could be that tight and internal, but that's the platform that you want to be seen on. <clears throat> and then there's audience. What are the circles and the communities and the clients or the constituents that we want to engage with? And who are the people that we really want to impact in the next couple of years? And then finally, activity. What is our broadcast plan? And again, doesn't have to be loud, but what are we going to communicate and how frequently will we do that? And you know, what's gonna be our, for lack of a better term, content schedule? Do we want to do something once a month? Do we wanna do something more often than that? And how are we going to bring purpose into those communication exchanges? Instead of just liking something on, and agreeing with something, how are we really going to bring more to that conversation to take it forward with the circles and communities that we care about? So I think this is a very simple framework it is a framework to starting to, it's a framework that helps you start to curate and consider what your reputation capital is across the marketplace. The most important thing about this is that it's the sum total of both your online and your offline presence. It's about behaving with intention and it's about really thinking through, does that online version of me match up and align with the way people experience me in person? Because you want that to be totally aligned.
0: So Andrea thank you very much for your time today it's been wonderful talking to you um, we've got every reason to be optimistic about our future and hearing you talk about connecting with our purpose and connecting our people with that purpose and strategy really sounds like a, a great way for us to embrace that opportunity and succeed in the 2020s so thank you very much for your time
1: great to be with you Paul
0: And to our audience, please look out for part two of this episode that forms part of our DLA Piper tech law podcast series.